Elevate Life Church. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy another elevated message. Here's our very special guest, founder of Arma Bible Academy, Pastor Manny Arango. So you know I've been playing seeds for a while. I think it's time for the harvest. A lot of people going to some withdrawals, but I'm about to put in some pauses. Yeah. I'm about to put in some deposits. Yeah. Plant the seed, I plant the seed. I think it's time for the harvest. Could y'all stand on your feet today and welcome Manny Arango? I love you. Any worshipers in the building today? Come on. Anybody came to church with a praise? Anybody grateful for 13 years of ministry? Come on. Anybody grateful that he woke you up this morning? I'm glad that you stood up for me, but I did not die on the cross for your sins. Anybody grateful that God doesn't treat you like your sins deserve? That the blood has made you whole. Hallelujah. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's funny. You may not be able to tell this. I'm going to encourage us around worship, and then I'm going to let you sit down. Come on. We're going to exercise today in church a little bit. Uh, You may not be able to tell this, but I've always been short. I'm short right now. You just can't tell because I'm on this elevated platform. God's elevated my life. (laughs) There we go. I'm part of the brand. Uh, uh, You may not be able to tell, but I am vertically challenged. And I can remember being like four or five years old getting up to this door that's supposed to automatically open when I walked up to it. I walked up to the door, but I didn't have enough substance (laughs) to make the door open. So, you know, I stepped back, I tried again, I stepped back, I tried again, and then third time's a charm, step back, boom, door pops open. And my little five-year-old ego was feeling himself, okay? I was like, look at that. I See, I'm not that small. I'm not that short. I opened that door. And then I made one mistake. I looked behind me. And I realized that my father, who saw my struggle, decided to add his weight to the situation because I could not open the door on my own strength. I wonder, is there anybody in church today who, when your pride wants to tell you that your degree opened that door for you, or your good looks opened that door for you, or your last name opened that door for you, that humility reminds you that it is only the grace of God that has opened every door of opportunity that you've ever walk through. God, we give your name praise because you've stood behind us. God, there are some doors that the enemy has not wanted us to walk through, but you've opened up doors that no man could open. And you've, come on, this is where the mature saints will praise because not only have you opened some doors, but God, you've closed some doors. And the mature Christian can worship just as hard as the fact that God's closed some doors as the fact that God's opened some doors. So God, we thank you that in the past 13 years, you've opened some doors. God, in my personal life, come on, you've opened some doors. You've opened doors. And God, I will never walk through the door and forget who got me into the room in the first place. God, had it not been for your goodness and your grace. Come on, anybody ever walk through a door? Come on, God, we thank you. That is because of your presence. When I wasn't enough, 
you added your weight to the circumstance. So God, we give this service to you. God, help me preach. I've got a sermon, but you've got a message. So God, I ask that the Holy Spirit would speak in this second service today. God, you would give us a word in season, a word that's timely. God, help me to preach with power and precision. God, I ask that you would take the generalities from stage and make them specific to every person. God, speak. God, we don't want anybody leaving saying, man, that guest speaker did a good job. We want everyone leaving saying, the Holy Ghost spoke to me in a unique and a powerful way. So God, help me preach this. We speak to every eye right now. We say scales fall off. We speak to every ear that can't hear. And we say, be unstopped. And we say to every hard heart, be soft. We command those things. We prophesy those things. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all said together, amen, amen, amen. Come on, give God a shot of praise in the room. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, you can grab a seat. Happy 13 years. I'm super excited. I want to honor your pastors. Um, many of you, uh, who was here the last time I spoke? Well, that was like an hour ago. <laughs> I was here two years ago. Who was here when I spoke two years ago? Come on. So I'm glad to be back. Um, and you may know this about me. You may not. I think there's some Arma subscribers probably in the room. Anybody been rocking with Arma for a while? Let's go. Uh, you may know this about me. Um, my father, my biological father, uh, the man who stood behind me so that that automatic door could work, uh, that guy was incarcerated for 18 years, came to this country as an immigrant from Cuba. Um, the first connection that he made was with his uncle, who was a drug dealer. My dad immediately got uh, affiliated with the wrong crew. My dad got addicted to cocaine. My dad became an addict. Uh, my mom was pregnant at the age of 12 with my older sister, gave birth at 13, was pregnant again at 14, had my older brother. My mom's been on welfare her entire life. I grew up in government-assisted. I grew up in the projects. I ain't even going to call it nothing fancy. I just grew, I grew up in the bricks. That's what we called it in Boston. Um, but it's because of a church like this. And it's because of a church that cared about people that didn't just belong to the church. The church that eventually that I got saved at, baptized at, preached my first sermon at, that church didn't just do youth ministry for the tithe-paying parents of, of kids that belonged to the church. That church went out into the community. That church reached kids, and that church reached a crackhead son named Manny Arango, and I'm the first Arango to graduate from college. I'm the first Arango to get a master's degree. By this time next year, I'll be the first Arango with a doctorate. I'm the first Arango to have children after marriage, not before marriage. I'm the first Arango to own property. I'm the first Arango to have employees. I'm the first Arango to sign the front of checks, not the back of checks. I'm the first Arango to break the curse of poverty off my family. I'm the first Arango to preach the gospel. I'm the first Arango to be an ordained minister. I'm the first Arango to travel as a missionary outside of the country because no generational curse is stronger than the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no stronghold. There is no curse stronger than the blood. We declare over your life, you are curse breaker. The anointing to break the yoke of the enemy off of your family is on your life. I need a shot of praise in God's house today. And the best part of the story is I'm the first Arango to do all that stuff, but I will not be the last. Oh, come on. We believe God for legacy. But it's because of a church like this. My pastors did not treat me 
Like I was the son of a welfare teenage mom and a crackhead as a dad. They treated me based on the fact that I was knit together in my mother's womb and there was purpose and destiny on my life. My youth pastor was the first person to ask me, where are you going to go to college? I was like, college? My mama don't even got her GED, okay? What are you talking about, college? My parents didn't know nothing about the fast food. Nothing. I learned that in church. Church was the first place I saw air fresheners. So when we talk about excellence... We do church with excellence because you have no idea the dysfunction that people bring in. Church was the first place that I ever encountered timeliness, order, organization, authority, rules, structure. My life had no structure. When my youth pastor said, you want to volunteer? And I said, yeah. He said, show up at 5 p.m. Do not be late or you cannot volunteer. He did not bend to my dysfunction. Oh, I'm going to preach this. He didn't cater to my dysfunction. He, but church became braces to my crooked teeth. And I had to change. And I had to be somebody who could show up on time and be excellent and go to college because I'm not just a product of the family I come from. When I get into church, I get a new family. I get some spiritual uncles and some spiritual aunts and some spiritual parents who begin to provide rules and structure and order so that they can fix the brokenness in my life. My youth pastor was the first person to say to me, where's your progress report? I was 14 years old, and my parents had never asked any teacher to see a progress report. Because my mom was pregnant at 12. She wasn't worried about my progress report. She was worried about rent. <laughs> oh, y'all, okay. Am I at an uppity church, or can I be real? <laughs> my dad wasn't worried about my progress report. <laughs> he was worried about staying out of jail. Church. Church. It was a youth leader that taught me how to drive. It's Uncle Joey who taught me how to budget my finances. Uncle Joey set me down in his office and was like, do you know how to tithe? I was like, I don't know what that is. And he was like, well, in order to tithe, I need to teach you how to budget your money. Because God is never trying to take anything from you. He is trying to give to you. You can't give him 10 and squander 90. He wants you to learn how to steward everything that he has for you. And the son of a crackhead learned how to be functional and healed and whole. It was Chris Sumner who got me into therapy when I was 23 years old because he saw that there are some things we can't fix at an altar, but he paid for me to go get therapy. He paid for me to go talk to a therapist and unpack all my childhood trauma. I got that in church. If you think you can have a relationship with Jesus and not have a relationship with his bride, you are sadly confused. You cannot have a relationship with Jesus and not honor the bride. I'm not just saved by Jesus. I was saved by church. Church saved my life. Church saved my life. What good is it if I give my life to Jesus and I'm going to heaven, but my life is still raggedy and I don't know how to budget my finances and I don't know how to be functional and I don't know how to be a leader and I don't know how to be a husband and I don't know how to be a dad. The blood of Jesus saved my soul, but it's church that saved my mind and my habits and my disciplines and taught me how to elevate my life. And so we honor you. We honor you, Pastor Sergio and Pastor Tina. We honor you. 
for not just caring about this country club, but caring about the community. We honor you. We honor every sacrifice. We honor your vision. We honor your integrity. We honor your faith. We honor the fact that you would move across the country. We honor everything that you and your family have done so that this community, this community can be reached with the gospel. I grew up in a church much like this. I grew up in a church where my, my, my youth leaders taught me how to buy real estate because they believed in ministry to the whole person, that you're not a compartmentalized being. Now, what good is it if we get your spirit saved, but then the whole, the whole rest of you looks like hell from Monday to Friday? Taught, taught me order and structure. Ooh, don't act like you ain't never met these people who are like, I got my own relationship with God. I don't need church. Those people are theologically wrong. The church is the bride of Christ. If you came up to me and said, Pastor Manny, I love how you preach. Oh, my goodness, you are so dynamic. You're such a good communicator. Will you please disciple me? And I said, yeah, I'll disciple you. And you said, yeah, but I got one caveat. I don't like your wife. I want you to mentor me. I want you to coach me. I want you to disciple me. But I don't like your wife. She ashy and bald. <laughs> and she got an attitude. I would say, good luck. You need to find somebody else to disciple you because I'm not going to disrespect my bride by having a relationship with you. If I, as an evil husband who's flawed, know how to respect my bride, how much more does Jesus respect his bride? If you think you can come to Jesus and say, I want a relationship with you, but I don't like church, then people are fake, then people are hypocrites, Jesus is going to look at you and go, mm -mm, move to the side. I only have relationship with my bride. That's why I that's why I give. That's why I serve. That's why I volunteer. That's why my happy hips is in church every single Sunday because Jesus has a relationship with his bride and I have to make a decision. Am I going to be a part of the bride or not a part of the bride? Because Jesus ain't stepping out just to have an affair with you. You want a relationship with Jesus? Get plugged in at church. You want a relationship with Jesus? Get planted in his house. Don't be one of these people that come once a month. Streaming like we still in COVID. Stop that. Come to church. I'm from Texas. We lasted six weeks in a pandemic. Then we was like, yeah, we done with this. I know Californians is a little different. <laughs> Y'all was like, no, we like it. <laughs> we want to stay home. <laughs> anyway, hey, my name's Manny Arango. I'm black. How y'all feeling? <laughs> Who came to the first service? Who's from the first service? Come on. We love you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, and uh, thank you for seeing the Manny Arangos that are in this community. Because, um, man, <laughs> woo, I gave my youth pastor a hard job. And uh, <laughs> woo, I, I, I write a check and send it to my youth pastor every year for all the hell I put that man through, okay? Um, but he saw something in me. He saw something in me. And thank you for seeing something in young people. Thank you for seeing something in this community. And um, we love you. We love you. Come on, can we honor them one more time? We love you. Had no idea. I was just minding my business in El Paso, Texas, just at a luncheon and sat at a table with your pastors. And uh, here we go. We're, 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 we're family and we're friends. And, um, 
and I honor the fact that you would invite me to preach at the 13th anniversary. Church anniversary is a big deal, so I love you guys so much. Okay, if you were in the first service, uh, we're going to get straight into it. If you were not in the first service, I'm going to give you a short recap so that everybody's up to speed. Uh, we based our message in the first service out of Genesis chapter 29. Genesis chapter 29, come on, who's, who's, this is the first service of the day, your first service of the day. Come on, say amen real quick. This is your first service of the day. Okay, if this is your first service of the day, let's get you caught up to speed, okay? Uh, Genesis chapter 29 is a story about two sisters. There's a hot sister and an ugly sister. Come on, Bible nerds in the room. The hot sister's name is Rachel. Rachel is cute. But Rachel is unfruitful. Rachel is an idol worshiper. Rachel is a liar. Rachel is a thief. But she cute though. <laughs> she bad, but she's also bad for you, okay? Uh, Rachel, Rachel got it going on. And for so many of us, we get distracted by Rachel's in our life. Things that look attractive but are unfruitful. Rachel is outwardly attractive, but she can't have children. And her barrenness is not just surface-level barrenness. Her barrenness is actually a symptom of the barrenness of her soul. Wow. Meanwhile, you got Leah. Now, you know you ugly when the Bible say you ugly. <laughs> Whole another level of ugly, okay? <laughs> Leah could look at you and your neighbor at the same time, you know? You didn't know who Leah was looking at, <laughs> you know? Leah, Leah was not cute, okay? One thing, you know, let's say me and Pastor Will are giving some single guy counsel. One thing for some single dude to come up to us and say, you know, I'm thinking about dating this girl. And for me and Pastor Will to be like, I don't know, man, you know, I don't think she's cute. Whole other thing for Genesis to be written by Moses. Moses sitting there writing on a tablet, some papyrus, <laughs> and the Holy Ghost. Remember to tell the people, Leah was busted. <laughs> you know, that's a whole other level of ugly. However, Leah ends up having seven children for Jacob. Because it's the ugly stuff in life that's fruitful. Ooh, come on. Prayer ain't attractive, but it's fruitful. Fasting, not attractive, but it's fruitful. Confrontation, not attractive, but it's fruitful. Investing, not attractive, but it's fruitful. Come on, there's stuff that's ugly. The season of infertility that me and my wife went through was an ugly season. But baby, ugly seasons aren't there to make you bitter. They're there to make you fruitful. So I don't need to be jealous when kids are dedicated at church. Oh, no, no. My wife took over all Mother's Day festivities at our church. I took over all Father's Day festivities at our church. Because you cannot, ooh, I feel this. You cannot go where you refuse to sow. So we wanted to become parents, so we started sewing into parents. My wife started braiding all these girls' hair at the church, started blessing single moms. We started throwing baby showers for people because you cannot go where you refuse to sew. I see a picture of my son. My son's about to turn two. That's my awesome wife. We walked through five years of infertility, but God can do anything. I don't care what the doctor said. The doctor only knows the facts. The doctor don't know the truth. Come on, the facts is your fallopian tubes is trash. But guess what the truth is? The truth is that God is a healer. God knows how to do miracles. The facts is your credit scores. Your credit score is trash. But you know what? The truth is God is Jehovah Jireh. He knows how to turn things around for your good. So Leah is ugly, but baby, she's fruitful. Seven kids. And most of us are at the same fork in the road that Jacob is at. Am I going to love Rachel or Leah? 
am I going to prioritize Rachel or Leah? By the time you get to Genesis chapter 49, you learn that by the end of Jacob's life, he finally understands that Leah is not what he would have chosen for himself, but Leah is the very thing that he needed for his journey. Leah actually becomes the woman that he wants to go to the grave with. Leah becomes the woman who he finally, by a process of maturity, stops pouring all of his love into Rachel and begins to pour that love into Leah. And then we, we ended the sermon because I told everybody, baby, I'm Leah. When I was ugly and busted, God loved me. When I was unattractive, God began to pour out grace on me. I wonder if there's any Leahs in the room. Some people who have been recipients of the imperishable seed of God's word and God began to take a chance on you and sow seed into your life when you didn't even look like a good investment. You looked like trash but God saw the treasure on the inside of you I am Leah there was nothing about me that want to draw God to me God says to the people of Israel do you think it's because of how attractive you are that I chose you oh no I chose you because you were the smallest nation amongst everybody else at the end of the day God chooses rejects he chooses people that come from crazy families he chooses people with a father as a crackhead and a mama who was pregnant at 12 he chooses people that the world discounts because he wants to shame the strong with the weak things of the world. He wants to shame the high things of the world with the lowly things of the world. And we left off on service one, and I told you that if you were going to make a transition from loving Rachel to loving Leah, that you needed to steward the seeds in your life. Everybody say seeds. You have the seeds you need to cultivate and produce and grow the life that God wants you to have. You can't control the cards that have been dealt to you, but you can control how you play those cards. I cannot control the family that I was born into, but the family that I was born into gave me all the seeds that I needed to be the person that God wants me to be. When you get to heaven, you cannot blame your uncle. When God asks you to give an account for what you did with your life, you cannot say, well, my dad took me to a crack house and I was five, and that's why I'm dysfunctional, and my parents are alcoholic, and that's why I suck at life, and my dad is this, and I was this, and I was abused, and I was this. Are you a victim or do you identify with a victorious God? You cannot identify with a victorious Savior and be a victim at the same time. When you get to heaven, you're going to have to give an account for what you did with the seeds he gave you. And if you are going to cultivate, everybody say cultivate. If you're going to cultivate the life that God wants you to have, there are five seeds that you're going to have to steward. Five seeds that you're going to have to steward. For everybody who was in the first service, this is now where we picked off. We're, we're, we left off, and now we can pick up. Everybody's back. Everybody now is on the same page. Now, here we go. I'm, I'm hoping, this is what I'm hoping, and assuming we're going to put both sermons online for everybody. So if you only came to the second service, uh, then that means you should probably go watch the first service. Because I gave you a very short recap. And so go watch the first service so you can get the full revelation of what we talked about. And actually, uh, Pastor Sergio talked about ARMA. Um, there's a two-hour course on our ARMA platform called Seeds. Okay? I'm going to give you about 25 minutes of this Okay, great. I'm going to give you, pastor's giving me more and more time. There we go. We're going to get about 35 minutes of this idea. Is that good? 
if you want all of my sermon notes, anybody want all my sermon notes? And a five-day devotional plan so that you won't just be entertained today, but we can give you the seed so that you can produce this word in your life. Go ahead. You can DM me or scan this QR code. You can, oh, no, DM me the word seeds. There we go. DM me. Don't DM one of these fake accounts because then you'll be given to some orphanage and that I don't even know about. Okay. There's like 12 fake accounts on Instagram. I'm the only one that's verified. I think I've got 50,000 followers or something like that. So DM me. Somebody do it real quick. DM Manny Arango. Did it work? It worked? Come on, let's go. What's your name? Go ahead, Jocelyn. DMing me. And I DM'd you back? You did the QR code. No, who DM'd? I want to know if the DM thing works. Did you DM me? And I DM'd you back? I'm preaching and DMing you at the same time. Look at God. Come on. Uh, if you want my full sermon notes, study guide, and a five-day devotional plan, you can scan that QR code uh, so that you can, like, feast on the word of God for yourself this week. Come on. Five seeds everybody has. Are you ready? Yes. Come on, everybody. Five seeds everybody has. Are you ready? Yes. Number one, your words. Every word you speak is a seed you're sowing. Every time you talk, you're not talking, you're sowing. I was a youth pastor for about 10 years, and uh, I was the kind of youth pastor that loved to embarrass young people. So if I saw young people kind of, you know, flirting with each other, or they kept coming to youth group with the same guy or the same girl, I would just put them on blast. I'd be like, hey, is this your boyfriend? Mad loud in the middle of the youth group. Pastor Will, you can do this. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, is this your girlfriend? Is this your boyfriend? And they would look at me, and they'd be like, no, Pastor Manny, stop. He not my boyfriend. Stop. And here's what they would always say. Never failed. That's not my boyfriend. We just talking. <laughs> Pastor Manny, yo, why you blowing up my spot, yo? For real, that ain't my girl. Come on. And then dudes, I don't know why they felt comfortable telling me this. I'm talking to like three, four girls here, you know. I'm like, at church? You playing at church? Anyway, we were reaching a community, you know. <laughs> Pastor Manny, why you playing, yo? That, that ain't my girl. We just, we just. And Ten years of youth ministry, you want to know what I would start telling teenagers? There's no such thing as just talking. Okay, how can I say this at Elevate Life Church on your 13th year anniversary so that you could get this? I need you to get the revelation, okay? What's a creative way that I, oh, I got it, I got it. Even the serpent was just talking. Just talking. Talking is never an innocent thing to be doing. Talking is actually one of the most intimate things that you could ever do with anybody. Because if I talk to you long enough, I can begin to direct your destiny. If I talk to you long enough, words have a way of getting on the inside of you. Words have a way of digging roots in your soil. Words have a way of producing fruit on the inside of you. Words are power. God created the universe with his word and then made you in his image so that your word has power. That 
that's why you should never speak death over anything. You better speak life. Me and my wife walked through five years of infertility. Guess what I never said? I never said we're infertile. I never said we ain't going to have kids. Why would I make a bad situation worse with the words that I declare over my life? I've got to live with the fruit of every seed I sow out of my mouth. The first seed everybody has is your words. I used to confuse people left and right. Because people were praying with us, you know, believing God that we were going to get pregnant. And I would mess around and say stuff like, oh, yeah, we about, we, 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 I'm, about to be, I'm about to be a dad soon. And they would start celebrating. Oh, is your wife pregnant? And I went, not that I know of. <laughs> They'd be like, Pastor Man, you got to stop doing that. We've been praying for you and your wife to get pregnant. You got to stop doing that. And I said, Jesus said he was coming back 2,000 years ago, and he ain't came back yet. So if Jesus can say I'm coming back soon, guess what I'm going to say? I'm going to be a dad soon. It's around the corner. I'm going to speak life. You're not even speaking faith till you feel like you're lying a little bit. You got to speak things that be not as though they were. I'm healed. I'm delivered. I'm set free. Greater is he that is in me than he that's within the world. I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. I've got a confession and I'm going to be foolish with the stuff that comes out of my mouth. I'm not going to talk based on what I have. I'm going to talk based on what Jesus died for me to have. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished, which means my peace is available. My joy is available. I may be sick right now, but he said it is finished, which means I'm healed in the name of Jesus. I'm going to speak life. Every word I speak is a seed I sow. I, 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 me and my wife, we've been married for 10 years now. You know, we've been putting up double digits. Double digits is... Well, serious. This is some serious time, especially in 2023. People be getting married for a couple months. No shade. But a little bit of shade. You know, it's Kardashian marriages, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Woo! And so we do some marriage counseling, and you know, I was counseling a couple, and the one was like, my, my husband's just a slob. He's just so messy. He's just a slob. And I was like, you, how long have you been saying that? Like, I've been saying that for the past five years because when I got married, he was a slob. And I was like, you realize he's a slob because you say that. <laughs> I remember the first year of marriage, me and my wife had a little agreement. She was like, look, homeboy. <laughs> man who finds a wife finds a good thing, obtains favor from the Lord. So here we go. I'll do the laundry. I will cook. I will organize this house. And I got ADHD, okay? I don't deal with no details. My wife, I... <laughs> Funny story, for real, for real. My wife was doing the budget. She was like, you need a raise. I went into our executive pastor, asked for a raise, and then he said, okay. There was about 45 employees at the church, at the church that I was working at. And he said, okay, how much money do you, what do you make? And I was like, I don't know. He was like, you don't know your salary? I was like, no, I have a wife. <laughs> he said, I need you to go home, find out how much money you make, <laughs> and then come back, just on principle. I'm not going to give you a raise until you know how much money you make. And I was like, I've never paid a water bill. I've never paid an electricity bill. I've never paid the mortgage because I got a wife. I'll talk to this side of the room. 
<laughs> my wife does all the details, okay? So me and my wife made an agreement. She was like, I will bless your socks off, okay? You don't even know what you're dealing with. I'm going to cook every day. I'm going to take care of this little nugget that we now have, this little child. I'm going to do all the laundry. I got you. I got you. Got you, okay? You preach, you do, my, the, my first book that I ever came out with, my wife dealt with the publisher, my wife printed the book, my wife, that's a wife, that's a, that's a wife. I got a wife. I got a wife. Grown woman wife. Can handle some responsibility, okay? I'm the talent, she's the management. My wife is like, you just stand on stage with a microphone, that's all you do. And don't, don't jack this up. <laughs> you do you, I will handle everything, okay? But my wife, we had an agreement. She was like, all I need you to do, <laughs> Big Daddy, <laughs> all I need you to do. Oh, your wife don't call you Big Daddy? Okay, this is me. <laughs> Look, all I need you to do is take out the trash. That's your one job. I don't want to put gas in the vehicle, and I don't want to take the trash out. And I was like, I mean, dang. There's a whole list of things you do for me. The least I could do is take this trash out. I got you. I signed on the dotted line. I was like, this sounds like a great contract right here. <laughs> Laundry, food, <laughs> child, <laughs> bills paid. <laughs> All I needed is the trash? Yes, ma'am. A month went by, I forgot to take out the trash. <laughs> Two months went by, I forgot to take out the trash. Three months went by, I forgot to take out the trash. Six months went by, I forgot, I just kept forgetting to take out the trash. One day my wife came home and she said, baby, thank you so much for taking that trash out. At first I was like, she's playing Jedi mind tricks on me. <laughs> I looked over at the trash, trash overflowing. My wife was like, baby, thank you. She said, do you understand how good you look when you take that trash out? Baby, when you throw that bag over your back, and I can see your biceps popping out. Ooh, the things that run through my imagination. When you take that trash out. She said, boy, when you toss it into the dumpster like that. She said, you look so good when you take that trash out. By the time she was done praising me, I wanted to take that trash out so bad. I never forgot to take the trash out again because men don't move by nagging. They move by praise because everything moves by your word. Oh, Jesus says the church is my bride and you've got a decision to make every Sunday. Are you coming to church to nag God? You ain't paid the bills yet and you ain't healed me yet and you ain't done this yet and you ain't done that yet. Or are you here to praise him because praise is actually what moves him to operate on your behalf. Have you gathered to say, God, I thank you that you're a provider. God begins to go, I ain't provided yet, but your praise has motivated me to do some things in your life. Everything moves on a word. That's why the worship team and the musicians, they rehearse and they practice because they want to get you to not just look at the screens, but get a confession in your mouth and say the words because your world is a product of your words. I had a barber for a long time. Dude could cut hair. Good. Name was Mo. Love Mo. Took like an hour to cut my hair. He was a perfectionist. Left the shop like, dang. 
If I was ugly, I'd be handsome now, because this haircut is fire. It was, it was, Mo was cut my hair one time and started gossiping about his wife. I gave him one warning. I was like, hey, man, I'm not here for the gossip. I'm here for the haircut. Because uh, I, don't, I, don't I don't need all of this. A couple months went by, he started to, he's slipping the gossip about his wife again. And I was like, hey, buddy, remember last time when you was gossiping about your wife? I told you, I'm not here for the gossip, I'm here for the haircut. Third time he did it, I never went back. You want to know why? I care more about my soul than I care about my hair. Ooh. When you realize that words are seed, you stop talking to people who are unauthorized seed sowers in your life. We can sow the best seed every Sunday. The preaching team, Pastor Sergio, Pastor Tina, oh, we can sow faith seed and hope seed and peace seed and joy seed every single Sunday. But if you let your church hurt uncle talk to you on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, then you have let somebody who's not authorized to sow seed into your life sow seed into your life because once you realize that words are seed, you have a two-way responsibility to put discipline around what you say and to then put discipline around what you hear. Because you're good ground. And seed will work. It'll work whether it's God's word. It'll work whether it's negativity. It'll work whether or not it's the news. It'll work whether or not it's TikTok. It'll work whether or not it's the Bible. It works. Words are seed. For some of you in the room, your marriage would be better if you took responsibility as being the dominant and authorized seed sower in your marriage. Uh-oh. You better not let nobody compliment your wife better than you compliment your wife. Because it is your responsibility to sow seed. That is your responsibility and your responsibility alone. And come on, let me challenge you. If your secretary, because this is just statistics, men are most likely to cheat with their administrative assistant or their secretary. Why? Because your secretary is like, are you losing weight? Oh, you did something different with your hair. You look so handsome. Your secretary is just a praise machine. You can't be all that shocked when the seed of compliments were sown and then the fruit of attraction starts to grow. You can't be shocked that a stray dog keeps showing up to your house every day, but you feed it every time it shows up. You're better off being rude and telling your administrative assistant, I don't need no compliments from you. See, you don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear that. I don't need no compliments from you. I got a wife. Because every time you fail to put up a boundary, you allow someone who's not authorized to sow seed in your life begin to sow seed in your life. And you are wiser to put up a gate, put up a fence, so that people who are not, don't have God's authority to sow into your life. It's why we're promoting a Christian hip-hop radio station. Why? Because the music you listen to is seed that's getting into your soul. Number two. You ready? Number two. Tears. Here's what the Bible says. Those who sow, keyword sow, in what? Tears. Will reap in joy. Those who sow in what? Will reap in joy. I was at a young adult conference. It was like hundreds of young adults at this event. 
and uh, this girl came down to the front. I was preaching about, you know, simple Christian stuff like not dating heathens. <laughs> nothing too complicated. Nothing, nothing revelatory. Just real elementary. Don't date heathens. You, you'd, you'd be shocked as to how mind-blowing that is for some of these young adults. You know what I'm saying? Woo! Just stop dating uncircumcised Philistines. Just don't do that. You know what I'm saying? Just, just date believers. Don't date unbelievers. Just, that's, it's just real simple. And so this girl comes down to the front during the altar call, and she's just bawling her eyes out. And you know them, them cries where people just breathe forever. Just, <laughs> I'm like, breathe, girl, golly. I'm at the altar. She's at front. She's like, I just love him. I love him. I can't get over him. And I can't break out with him. I have to. <laughs> and I go, stop. Like, dang, girl. You double sewing. You sewing words and tears. Because culture has taught you, if you cry enough, you'll get over it. But that's not what the word teaches. The word says if you cry about it, you'll be tethered to it. Because every tear you sow is a seed you sow. Every tear you cry is a seed that goes into the ground. There's some of you right now in the room, you've been crying over this dude for seven years. Still can't get over him. And every cry session, you still, you more attached to him after you cry than before you cried. Because crying doesn't get you over it. Crying gets you rooted in it. Because tears are seed. This is encouragement for anyone who's ever cried over the right stuff. Every time I cried over my future children. Every time I cried because I believed that God was going to do something. Every time I cried over revival. Every time I cried because somebody got baptized. Every time I cried because I wanted the kingdom of God to invade the earth. I began to realize that God catches tears and he sows them into the kingdom. That I've never cried about any godly thing in vain. And my prayer is this. God, I don't want to give you my life but you not have my emotions. I'll cry over the stuff you want me to cry over. And I'll stop crying over petty stuff that doesn't matter to you. If it doesn't matter to you, it's got to stop mattering to me. God asked Samuel a very, very important question. How long will you mourn over Saul? Because I have rejected him as king. There's some people in your life, God has already rejected them. As your fiance, and you still crying about them. If I'm a believer, I don't get to mourn endlessly over the stuff that God is taking out of my life. God asked me, How long you gonna mourn over that? I'm asking you to put that idol on the altar. How long you gonna mourn? Because some of us obey with action, but we don't obey with emotion. I don't just need to do what God says. Some of you, you start a tithe and you still ain't found a joy in it. Uh-oh. When the Bible says be a joyful giver, don't just give. No, get your emotions in check. Give with the right spirit. Give with the right emotion. I need a good amen in God's house. Tears. Another cultural lie that we need to come up against. Woo. The culture that says men don't cry. That's not biblical. 
Because if you're a man and you're not crying, that means you're not sowing. What do you mean men don't cry? That's absolutely ridiculous. And men are just as emotional as women. Men commit suicide more than women. Men commit acts of violence and murder more than women. That's emotion. Bottled up and you don't know what to do with Jealousy and rage and anger, that stuff's emotions. Don't let culture lie to you and tell you that you are less emotional than a woman. No, no, no. You're less expressive than a woman, but you are just as emotional as a woman. And God needs to take your emotions and put them through a process of sanctification. Woo! You ready for number three? Number three. Get ready. Time. Time is a seed. Hashtag compound interest. Come on. Why did I start an investment account in my 20s? Because I realized time is a seed. And I would hate to do, meet, want, wish I did in my 20s when I'm 65. Get, oh, I'm going to be a happy somebody at 65. You know why? Because I made decisions in my 20s. Ooh, this is a hard one. Worst thing in the world is to not maximize the seed of time. You are a mortal creature. You are not immortal. You will not live forever, which means your time matters. Here you go. Write this down. The four laws of reaping and sowing. Write this down. You reap what you sow. Number two, you reap where you sow. Number three, you reap after you sow. Number four, you reap more than you sow. Yes, I can. Let's go. Number one, you need to remind yourself of this every time we take up the offering. Number one, you reap what you sow. If I sow fear, we ain't never going to get pregnant. If I sow doubt, if I sow that, I will reap that. I reap what I sow. Number two, you reap where you sow. Let me preach that just for a minute. Young man, married man, if you sow all your time at your company, you're not going to reap from your family. That's why we honor you for going away on vacation in the next month. Because your first ministry is your family. I can't sow in church and think I'm going to reap from my family. I don't just reap what I sow. I reap where I sow. So if you sow all your time into TikTok, Instagram, let me hit the mamas, Facebook. My mama loves some Facebook. My mama's 63 and just cannot get off Facebook. She she be hitting me with Facebook links. Like, did you read this? Did you see this? I'm like, get off of your laptop. <laughs> my mom and my dad, both in their 60s, just love Facebook. YouTube, Hulu, Disney Plus, HBO. If that's what you sow, you can't be all that shocked. That when the enemy fights you, there's no word that comes out of you. There's no scripture that comes out of you. There's no faith that comes out of you. There's no fight that comes out of you because you reap where you sow. 
Number three, here we go. You reap more, you reap after you sow. Reaping and sowing don't happen simultaneously. Anyone who wants instant gratification will never be a sower. Ooh. Sowing is a game of delayed gratification, which is why this is just straight statistics. You can look this up in the Wall Street Journal, Time, New Newsweek. Less than 15% of Americans are saving up for retirement. But guess what everybody's going to do? Retire or need to. But the reason you don't do it is because you think, no, it's not important right now. Wisdom would say, my 65-year-old self is going to thank me if I put money away right now. But you don't reap when you sow. You reap after you sow. And last, you reap more than you sow. A seed? Oh, nothing's more powerful than a seed. Because a seed multiplies. A seed always becomes more than whatever you put in the ground. Can I go off on a tangent? All the husbands, let's go. Let's rock. You ready? Me and my wife were on staff together at a church for about five years. And I realized that my job as the husband is to sow seed. My wife's job in the physical is her same in the spiritual. She incubates seed, grows seed, and will eventually give birth to seed. And what she gives birth to will look a whole lot different than the seed I gave her. That's a whole little human. Seeds grow. Women are designed to incubate, grow, and birth the stuff you give them. So I realized early on, I had a whole bunch of friends who were also in ministry, and they had to keep quitting their job every 18 months, go to a new church. And I was like, well, that don't seem godly or biblical. I'm going to be at this church for five years because you can't even accomplish anything in youth ministry in any shorter time than five years. So I remember one time my pastor called me up, and he said something to me that really bothered me. I got offended. He canceled this conference that we were doing. I was really upset about it. He said, I don't want to do the conference no more. And I had a 20-minute drive by the time I got offended and by the time I got home. I was offended when he called me, but I knew, whew, if I get home and I sow seeds of offense, my wife, who is my rib, who wants to protect me, she will get my offense. If I give her the seed of offense, she'll give birth to reject, she'll give birth to anger and bitterness and I need her to come to church and say amen when my pastor preaches. I don't need her on the front row like, I can't believe Pastor Andy took my man's conference away. I don't need a bitter wife. I need a happy wife. So by the time I got home, I was offended when he called me. By the time I got home, guess what my words were? I think the Lord wants us to put this conference on the altar of sacrifice. Because the moment I blame Pastor Andy and become a victim, first of all, I've made myself ineligible to be followed because nobody follows a victim. Second of all, I don't need my woman fighting my battles for me because I'm a grown man. She ain't my mama, she's my wife. Third, if I tell her what my leader told me, it's gossip because me and my wife ain't equals. I'm the leader. Ooh, I'm preaching, preaching. Your wife ain't just your friend. She's your follower. How dare you talk to your subordinate about something that your boss told you about? 
Go get a friend. Have an accountability partner. What man needs to gossip to their wife? Why are you gossiping to your wife? My wife stayed at that church for five years because guess what? Ignorance is bliss. She never knew that my pastor offended me. She didn't need to know that my pastor offended me because guess what men do once they give seed? They roll over and they go to sleep. All the Pharisees, you're dismissed. All the real people, we can stay. And after you've rolled over and gone to sleep, guess who has to deal with the seed that you've sown? The woman in your life has to deal with the consequences of the seed you've sown. Don't be a deadbeat father naturally or spiritually. Many men, we're not deadbeats in the physical, but you're deadbeats with the words you say. You sow seed and then you make the woman have to deal with the insecurities of the seeds you've sown. That woman should feel like a million dollars after talking to you. She should feel like she could conquer the world when she's done talking to you. Even after she's had the baby, you better tell her, girl, I like them curves. Come on. Them stretch marks, them turn me on. Why? You say that because your words are seed. I'm preaching today. Come on. Come on, number four. You ready? And then we're going to get beady of tacos. Come on. Number four, number four, is this helpful? Yes. Your life is a culmination of the seeds you sow. I think that if you take this message today, you could change your whole life. I'm not exaggerating. Number four, money. Money's a seed. Money's a seed. I'll tell you the day my dad started tithing. I was 15 years old. I started preaching at 13. Okay, so by the time I'm 15, I, I, maybe I was 16, I had about two to three years of preaching under my belt. So I, I, I always had a gift with words, okay. So my dad, he started coming to church, okay. So my dad was coming to church, and um, my dad uh, left the front of the building. He ran around to the parking lot, and he saw our pastor leaving in a Mercedes Benz. It was a nice Mercedes. And so my dad went, see, that's why I don't tie. I ain't about to pay for no pastor's Mercedes. I don't believe in tithing. See, the pastor got a Mercedes Benz. See, I ain't see all church. It, it's a scam. It's just a scam. The pastor's trying to get my money. I ain't paying for no other man to drive no Mercedes. My, this is what my dad said. I'm 16 years old. Now, remember this. My dad's been on drugs since I was like six months. So I looked at my dad, and I was like, guess what, bro? I probably shouldn't have called my dad bro, but, you know, I was hot. Because church saved my life. So I looked at my dad, and I said, the drug dealer in our neighborhood also drives a Mercedes. That you paid for. He don't even need no other clients. You buy so much crap that you have single-handedly financed this man's Mercedes. You are a hypocrite. How dare you sow into the flesh but not sow into the spirit? How dare you sow when you got something out of it but you won't sow now that we want to give you life? How dare you sow in the world but won't sow in the kingdom? How dare you be a generous heathen but a stingy Christian? That don't make no sense. You got saved? 
keep that same energy. You was the person in the club talking about next round on me. You should be the person in church talking about next outreach on me. Keep that same energy. Keep that energy. I looked at my dad. I was like, wait, 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 wait. You had credit cards in my name when I was six months old. I'm dealing with bad credit at 17 because of your stupidity. What was you charging with them credit cards? You was getting a new outfit every weekend to go to the club. The club owner drives a Mercedes that you paid for. You smoke almost two packs of cigarettes a day. You've spent more money on sin. If you were to actually get into church and get free and delivered, you wouldn't smoke crack, you wouldn't smoke cigarettes, you wouldn't need to go to the club, you wouldn't need to flex, you wouldn't need to get credit cards for stuff that you can't afford. You want to know how much money holiness will save you? Holiness will save you a whole lot. 10% ain't nothing. What are we talking about? 100% of your life went to sin. 100% of your life went to the enemy. 100% of your life went to foolishness. And now you get into church. When did you become a mathematician? When did you become frugal? I mean, I can't afford to tithe. You can't afford to tithe. You never said you couldn't afford to get high. See, this is the advantage I have of growing up with heathens. I'm a preacher that knows how people actually think. I was like, guess what I've never heard you say, Dad? I can't afford this drink. I can't afford to smoke. You know what you did? You found a way because your flesh wanted it that bad. So you know what you need to do now in the kingdom? Find a way to not rob God because your spirit should want it that bad. Find a way. Figure out how to budget. Be a good steward. Because money is seed. Seed. And you reap where you sow. You reap what you sow. You reap after you sow. And you reap more than you sow. My dad started tithing. <laughs> My dad was like, I hear you. You right. <laughs> this was in the church parking lot. I think maybe there was a gift on my life or something, you know. I want to show you a verse. I want to show you a verse. And then we're going to do number five and then we're going to be done. It's been a good Sunday. It's been a good Sunday. Media team, give me Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish... So that it yields for who? Seed is for who? The sower. And bread. Who's the bread for? Here's the revelation. If you eat everything that God gives you, you get put on the bread plan. Because sowers don't get bread. 
and eaters don't get seed. You are the one that determines, am I going to get seed from God or bread from God? I'm not one of these preachers, and I hope our theology lines up. I don't believe you're cursed if you don't tithe. I just believe you're not blessed. See how those are different. I don't think you're cursed. I just think there's a blessing that's not available to you. Because God is a good father. So he's going to give bread. He gives bread. But I don't want to be on the bread plan. You know what I call the bread plan? I call that heaven's welfare system. Because God is like, hey, I have an obligation to take care of your needs. I'll give you bread. But you want to know how bread works? You got to keep coming back for it every day. This is daily bread. But here's what God wants you to do. He wants you to get seed. He wants you to sow. In the middle of a pandemic, God asked me to sow. We started traveling evangelistically in January of 2020. Anybody ever get mad like, Holy Spirit, you could have warned me that like the world was going to shut down? I quit my job in December 2019. That church I was on staff at for five years, me and my wife were on staff together. I quit that job in December 2019 because I believed that God wanted me to do this. Go to churches every week and encourage the body of Christ. Since 2019, we've been doing about 70 speaking engagements a year. That requires flights. That requires rooms like this. COVID hit. All of that got shut down. We got hit with 35 cancellations in one weekend. Middle of March. I didn't know how I was going to pay my mortgage. I didn't know how I was going to survive. I was scared. Anybody ever been scared? Just the unpredictability of life hit. I'm nervous. I'm scared. I'll spare you the whole long story, but here's what the Holy Spirit told me to do. Holy Spirit said, how much do you need every month? I was like, our expenses are not a lot. I just need $5,000. That's the mortgage. That's the car. That's everything. I know how to live beneath my means. $5,000, all I need every single month. Holy Spirit said, okay, then give $500 at the beginning of every month. I was like, you want me to pre-tithe? I was like, that's a whole nother level of tithing. Like, I didn't grown up tithing. I don't know about, I don't know nothing about pre-tithing. It's like, yeah, if you need 5,000, set aside 500 at the beginning of the month. I took a walk around the neighborhood with my wife, and I knew she was going to shut this down. So I was like, babe, Holy Spirit said something real stupid. <laughs> Told me to give $500 at the beginning of the month, you know, because we need 5,000. And my wife went, yeah, that sounds, sounds good. And I went, I was banking on you. To say this is a bad idea, it must be the Holy Ghost, you know, because my wife's the budgeter. So we put it on recurring giving. This was July of 2020. Our savings account had dwindled down to nothing. I pretty much used our last $500 to just, and I put it on recurring. You know it's real when it's on recurring. All the real saints is like, yep. Because essentially you just like, God, you can just take it. At the beginning of every month, just go ahead, take it. And if you overdraw my account, it's your fault. <laughs> so I put it on recurring. A pastor from Phoenix, Arizona, reaches out to me and says, Manny, our church is streaming right now because of COVID. Can you drive down to your church, record a sermon in front of your stage, and just send it to us, send us the file, 
we'll play it at our church for our streaming service and we'll pay you every time we stream it. Now I'm from the hood. So I'm like, how many times are you streaming it? <laughs> like, we're going to stream it three times. We'll pay you $1,500 every time we stream it. I was like, 15, 3, 4,500. <laughs> now, now, I got the check and I went, now God, we $500 short. Don't act like I'm the only person who thinks like that. I'm like, I gave five. I, didn't give, I did not give $450. I gave 500 The next week, a pastor from Houston, Texas calls me and says, I watched the streaming service from that church in Phoenix. He said, that was a good word. He said, can you preach the same sermon but for my church? Go drive back to your church, stand in front of the same LED screen, do the same sermon, but just for my church. And he said, and my church is bigger than his church. They paid you $1,500 every time they streamed it. We'll pay you $2,000 every time we stream it. I was like, how many times you streaming it? So we're going to stream it three times. I was like, two, four, six. By the end of the month, $10,500. I sold five. I want to preach to your faith. You'll never outgive God. You'll never do it. You'll never be able to outgive Him. It'll never happen. I'm on the way to the bank. Guess what God says? That's not bread, that's seed. I was like, the whole 10 5? I was like, I thought the test was over. I passed. How does a two part test? said, I want you to sow. It's like, into what? I want you to buy cameras, and I want you to start a theology streaming platform. Because as long as you preach to people, they'll eat for a day. But if you teach people how to feed themselves the word of God, they'll eat forever. I was like, God, my mortgage needs to be paid. He was like, but people's souls need to be fed. Buy cameras. Imagine the conversation with my wife. Hey, God said to buy cameras. We sowed a seed today. That thing we started in my garage has 3,000 monthly subscribers that pay us $13 a month, and we have nine employees. And all nine of my employees get bread because I was faithful with seed. They get a direct deposit every month. They get bread because I was faithful with seed. You want to know what breaks poverty off of a community? When people stop just believing for jobs and begin to believe that they can be seed sowers, that they can provide jobs for other people. I'm not just believing for a job. I'm a job creator. I've got employees. You know why? Because I know how to sow seed. And my community going to eat because I know how to sow seed. What good does it do for me to know how to tithe, but I don't know how to create seed to become an entrepreneur? Seed, last one, number five. We are over time. John chapter 12. The key sounds so good. John chapter 12, verse 24 and 25. We're landing the plane. Come on, everybody stand all over the room. 
Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and, come on, falls to the ground and, it remains only a single seed. But if it, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Do you want to know why there are hundreds of us in this room today, redeemed, set free with a new life, new creation? Do you know why there are millions of Christians around the globe worshiping every single Sunday? It's because Jesus did not hoard his life or keep his life or love his life to keep it for himself. Of course he would have loved to live to 85, 90 years old, but he decided what? I'm going to give my life as a seed and I'm going to put this seed in the ground so that new life can come forward. And the one seed became many seeds because he saw his life as a seed. Can I tell you what the fifth seed is? It's your life. What do we need you to do? Get in the ground and die. Die to your pride. Die to your selfishness. Die to your sin. Die to you. Die to your ambitions and your goals and actually give your life to Jesus. We can worship and praise because Jesus died for us. But can I tell you what the full gospel is? You dying for him. You taking up your cross and you deciding, I'm going to die. You have a fruitful marriage if you die to yourself. You have a fruitful family if you die to yourself. The reason that my son will never have to deal with the demons I dealt with because I died to my pride, I got into counseling, I died to my flesh, and I got a pastor. I died to me so that the next generation could live free and whole. How many of you today, come on, your words is the seed that you need to begin to sow better. I want you to wave at me. Come on, I've been loose-lipped. I haven't been disciplined with my words. Come on, even there are moments where I should have spoken faith, but I just said nothing. Come on, we decree and declare you're going to begin to speak some faith seed. Who in the room, it's tears. Come on, you've cried over petty stuff. Just crying over stuff that doesn't matter. Or you've bought into the lie that men don't cry. We're going to declare over your life today. You're going to be fruitful. Come on, you're going to be fruitful and multiply. Time. Time. Come on, how many people? You're in the room. You waste time. Come on, tick, tock. Tick, tock. You just waste time scrolling. You're going to begin to sow seed in a better way. Finances, come on, who's, who's saying, you know what? I'm a tither, but I can give more. Or I'm not, I don't even tithe yet. You know what, Pastor Manny? I was generous in the world. I need to be generous as a believer. Who is that? Who am I preaching to? Come on, wave at me. And then last, I need to die to myself. I need to die to myself. Well, I hope you've been encouraged by the word of God. And if you have, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast or download our free app at the App Store and you can continue to get word every week from Elevate Life Church.